0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring
1: home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0-1 to grams of net carbs, 5-11 to grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants, and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
2: Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next,
3: and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling.
1: Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data.
0: Go on Google Trends! Type in your name, then type in mine! You're a straight line! I'm a pyramid! I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, fire rates plummeting! The time is now to turn the math around! and welcome to pollock and thurston for wednesday december the 13th it's john pollock from post wrestling and brandon thurston from wrestlenomics hello brandon hello john and and as i told you when we uh, we jumped on here welcome back to twitter i have i have i made a return to the platform today you know i've actually been lurking more and more on, on threads and then today i, I felt really is there lonely? anything wrestling related going on, on threads that much you know what there's there's a fair amount of activity of people that I'm following on Twitter that are seem to be making the migration towards Threads that are posting like individual like not just uh you know copy and pasting between both platforms it looks like there are some that are putting you know unique comments threads on threads yeah if if threads had an API I would just cross post everything from Twitter to to Threads yeah it's kind of Like, I am never going to adapt to something that I literally have to pick up my phone to, to touch. If you don't have the desktop capability, call me, call me old. That's fine. But it's, I, I'm never going to participate in these platforms where it's just, it's a pain to go out of my way to engage in. So I'm more than happy to also just uh, direct everyone to, to this show, Pollock and Thurston. You want, you want my thoughts? That was just a sample today online. Uh, as I was to bring everyone into, into context. So. As we have seen for, for quite a while now, when uh, Fightful will come out with various reports about, you know, producers on various matches, um, you know, this has just been like common, commonplace. And I guess the story this week was the fact that Seth Rollins and CM Punk's segment on Raw uh, did not have a producer listed to it that, that Fightful reported on. Uh, so Brian Gortz, who who I like Brian, I've, I've spoken to him in, in the past. And anyway, he responded. Uh, to this this story uh that was that was aggregated that this is so stupid when there's no physicality there 's no producer assigned to a segment it 's been that way forever doesn 't mean there wasn't a writer working with talent. The bigger question why is anyone within the company sharing scripts slash rundowns with anyone outside of the company so this it, this it came across my uh my, my desktop and it's it's an aspect that kind of takes me to another subject that I have sort of like It always has irked me the fact that we watch so much wrestling product, whether it's good or bad, it comes with, with both. But you could, you could watch, um, a tremendous video package, a tremendous segment, a tremendous match. And you don't know all of the people that go into this beyond just your principal performers that you see on screen. So to get to Brian's criticism, I mean, he's looking at it more like, why would someone leak this information? And my argument would be there are tons of nameless, faceless people in that company that work tirelessly on a weekly basis that I think would have no objection to their work being recognized. And I understand that's a, a larger issue in pro wrestling, but one that without any kind of, you know, we talk about the the writer strike that just went down, WWE's writers, not part of that. And these people receive no credit. So when a writer comes and goes in the company, they could be there for 20 years or two months. Odds are you're going to know very little in terms of the names that make up this writing list. And any of the work that they were attached to. So when they are on the and, outs- and do we think that, that union writers, that's part of their, their union contract is that they have to be credited. I think that's a, that's a major part of like negotiations is in terms of like where your positioning is in, in credits, what kind of title you're going to be attached to. And I mean, that's certainly something that, you know, is not there on behalf of the broadcaster. That's there on the behalf of the writer. So they are recognized for their work.
3: Yeah, there, there's something called the WGA screenwriting credit system, just on a quick Google there.
0: So anyway, it was just my thought on just where the wrestling system is. And instead of viewing this as a who's leaking this type of angle to take from it, maybe we could approach it from the side of why do we not recognize um, more people that work on these shows? And it just seems to be well, it's pro wrestling. We've never done it that way outside of you know WCW famously having a credit rule at the end of their pay-per-views. But largely it's a uncredited industry that we watch all of this programming with and then when we see a mass amount of cuts that come well if you're a performer that's going to get tons of spotlight but there's lots of these people and we just heard mark shapiro last week stating the fact that a lot of these nameless faceless people probably more cuts coming in those departments and we won't know most of their names
3: so when uh A lot of the response to this, by the way, is, is positive, including people who are in the business, like Mark Henry, um, and Matt Cardona approving of it. And
0: I, I haven't, I haven't (laughs) even looked at any of the stuff. Um, So this is all news to me.
3: And a lot of random fans just being like,
0: yeah. Uh, but
3: so what's, feel feel free to play devil's advocate though. Sure. So what's the harm here? First of all, um, I think there's a second issue that he's getting to. Maybe like, you know, who, who's the rat? But, but what's the harm? Is it that people will, watch the show and know sort of the inner workings that it that takes away some of the mystique you know i i, I almost want to say oh no people are going to figure out pretty soon that this business is a work and then that these matches aren't real but is it is it like I, i've heard people complain about this you know the spoilers that supposedly the dirt sheet writers report which i i, I don't know that they're reporting spoilers so much as i, I know sean Rossapp apple report here's the lineup of um, and that is actually what he's referring to, what Brian Grubert is referring to here—the the scripts and the rundowns. Um, and I—it's I it, like a
0: case of that, the, the fact that the the media and the wrestling companies that we cover, we're not always going to have the same objectives of what a report is. And yes, had let's let's just throw a theoretical out there that this past Saturday had, okay, for instance, uh, John Sino, who works on our site, he was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, for. NXT. He was also, he went by the WWE headquarters. Now, if he had spotted CM Punk there in the afternoon and he texts me, Hey, hey, Pollock, I just saw CM Punk. Um, he's 20 minutes away from Bridgeport. Maybe he's going to be on deadline tonight. Now I love John Cena, but would have to verify that. Um, and not to toot my own horn, but I feel I could verify that with, with a couple of, uh, of texts and confirmations. Is CM Punk scheduled for tonight? Let's say I get the okay and I report. CM Punk is in Bridgeport, expected to appear on deadline tonight. I have no doubt. I think that's newsworthy. I have no doubt I would get tons of, you ruined this surprise. However, WWE took it on their behalf to the same channels that they will criticize for spoilers, they will actively utilize when they want to get the word out to benefit the hype and last minute buzz for their show, which they did Saturday, noting that CM Punk is in Bridgeport and doing a tweet back and forth with Shawn Michaels inviting him to the show. And no one cries spoiler on behalf of the company because that's the direction now they are pointing you in. So we're very selective when it comes to this criticism, when it's media disseminating a message versus the company actively promoting something because they know it has a value to promotion versus a surprise. And, and I think what you're describing there with, with like a CM Punk case would be an
3: exceptional case in terms of I might come across it not knowing that it, it that I'm about to see something that's a spoiler. I, in, in terms of the, the rundowns that Fightful reports, I have to seek those out. And like I, I subscribe to Flightful Select. I, I rarely look at them because it's not something I'm particularly interested to see what the rundown of, of Raw or SmackDown are before. <laughs> nor,
0: nor are they posting results in advance or – like it's just – it's the rundown essentially. And then afterwards, like I think if I was a producer in that company, um, that – you know, maybe maybe you have a great it's always going to vary too. like you will have matches where you will hear talent state that the the producer is kind of just there to oversee their input might be limited. But then you have others where they are much more hands on and they are very instrumental. And I would I cited like Tyson Kidd as one example that I think we have a great indication of his contributions to the women's division over these years and that he has stood out as a really solid producer. And I would I would not be looking at these reports as a negative. Instead, Here is some idea of credit I have that there's there's no spotlight I'm getting from in my company, but outside of it, I mean, that is a bit of attention that you do have for yourself and just acknowledgement of your work.
3: And and to your point, the reason why anybody even recognizes the name Tyson Kidd in the first place is because he was a wrestler on television for many years, as opposed to a lot of the the road agents or match producers are former wrestlers, but a lot of the people who are producing the video, uh you know who are setting up the stage nobody knows their names uh they're they're people who you know a a lot of people were laid off uh over the last several months uh both in september and then a few weeks ago again and and that that did include some production cuts
0: yeah so i'm not asking for like sweeping changes that we know like the the gaffer on on raw on monday nights however that said like it it strikes me like I, I've loved the Shinsuke Nakamura videos that they have done. I think it has rehabilitated him in a grand sense. And I personally, I could not tell you who is responsible for these videos, who is editing these videos, where the idea came from, and like how many WWE video packages does that apply to? How many original WWE documentaries that you've watched that, wow, they did a really great job. Well, who was, in, who was involved in that? It's very rare that you have like like a Jean Carlo, for instance, and his work with GCW and now AEW that like stands out as someone that you maybe have an eye for towards his work. But that's very it's few and far between that a writer is cited for their work unless a wrestler goes out of his way, like a Chris Jericho mentioning Jimmy Jacobs with their work in WWE Together. Like you don't hear about the writers. Like just last week I was on the call with Shawn Michaels, and he stayed one of the big reasons. They've been able to attract this younger audience. We have a lot of younger writers on our staff. But again, I would imagine the vast majority of people out there have no idea the identities of of these people that have turned NXT around over this past year.
3: Yeah. And if we can get to the the other part of, of Brian Gwartz's point, he, he said the bigger question is why is anyone within the company sharing scripts slash rundowns with anyone outside the company? So is is that just about like people who, who work for the company are being disloyal by sharing information with reporters
0: is that I point? think that's how Brian Gortz is couching it that it's like this act of going against the company leaking confidential documents I would just and listen we're not I'm not pointing fingers at whoever is sharing this I mean I'm not I'm not reporting on these so and I'm not going to like guess but my, my larger point would be what percentage of the people that have access to these documents have zero uh, kind of zero credit is acknowledged for them, like writers, producers, like all of these people that have no acknowledgement. Um I think it's only natural that people want to have knowledge of their work. And especially if you are in the production side of things, and you hear a Mark Shapiro stating like, we are coming to slash this department. I mean, these people have to realize, like, I might need a job. And no one knows me from Adam based on the fact that I'm just a, an anonymous production worker that might do phenom- The Nakamura video editor. Okay. If he got cut tomorrow, we probably wouldn't know his name. And this guy would have to probably pitch himself to an AEW or an impact and hopefully, um, would, would have enough, um, credibility or work resume that would, but nobody, nobody could identify this as like this, this great work of the, this editing team, for instance.
3: As Mark Shapiro said a couple of weeks ago, um, I think we played the clip here on this show. Um, despite what the, the production chiefs at WB and UFC are telling him, uh, he believes that there's more cuts that, that can be made. Um, he didn't specify people, but I think kind of, of course, he's not going to specify people, even if he does really mean people. He did mention cameras and tape machines. Um, but he, I'm thinking he means people as part of that expense that he thinks can be cut.
0: So anyway, those, th- those are my thoughts. Are I- you, are you are you pro credit rolls at the end of wrestling shows, Brandon? Do, do you think that that would actually upset um like would that would that be a drastic change to to have some some implementation where there is acknowledgement or there is kind of like writers attached to like a, a, a great scene, for instance?
3: I guess I mean, I'm thinking about where that would be. I guess it would be at the end of the show, and and we can, we can all remember like the old WCW pay-per-views that would roll the credits, and right. You'd see Virgil Runnels as the, as the director yeah. or whatever. Um, I I guess uh, it's, it's a question of where to put it on a show that is traditionally so tight for time, and do you want and you think? would
0: have outrage from the usual suspects? That would be oh my god, like why don't we? It, it would be exactly the my god, why don't we just tell everybody it's it's a, it's a change? Yeah. It's like. How can we argue on one side WWE we deserve an Emmy and then on the other side like wh- what are the basic core functions of being a a program that I, again if your writers were were unionized it would be a much different uh, system I feel
3: yeah I guess I'm, I'm I read this and I, I agree with your comments and I I look at it as another instance of where critical thinking is not put first and instead sort of just you know, supporting the people who are in charge is, is, is put ahead of that. And I think, I mean, that's, this is why I'm I'm so encouraged that I've turned to the dark side here in that I, I, at a, at a very low level, I was involved in wrestling and I saw it as to such a great extent. You were not taught how to think critically. You were given a lot of very creative people were told each other very creative ways in which ultimately the end destination was to win favor with the people who are in charge of of a business that is where, where people's careers are decided based on very subjective decisions of people in power. And there isn't so much of a, of a critical thinking, a critical thought around how to actually get over them and, or what is actually good for the business or what is actually good for my coworkers and, and how do I, you know, ensure that they have better careers instead it's, you know, who's being disloyal to, to, to the power structure here.
0: Well, I, I learned in my own career working at a television broadcaster where it was like a lot of the people above us came from, you know, a, a previous network that they had worked at. And it's, it's just natural that you implement sort of the, the patterns and ways you do things into your future work. And I would always be one of. Why are we doing it this way? And a lot of times the feedback was, well that's how we've we've always done it and it becomes very easy especially when you're churning out a lot of content to just fall into these, but I think sometimes it does help and pro wrestling could greatly utilize some of well why do we do this? And if That's he, how
1: pro wrestling is.
0: And if that's the only answer you can provide then I think it does require more critical thought as, as you would put it, because just doing things because that's the way it's always been done. Does that really, is that really relevant to the current marketplace and where pro wrestling is today versus where pro wrestling was 20 years ago? I mean, it's, it's a night and day difference of a yep. business, but we've gone long enough without talking about CM Punk, uh, because that was, that was our headliner uh, today to talk yes. about the, the early returns on CM Punk, has it been a positive return for CM Punk after several appearances on television has yet to wrestle a match, but he will be at the end of the month as he has been added to two live events as of this recording.
3: I read that he's wrestling Dominic. Um, So his you know, his first promo was met with uh, some some disappointment. I think that people thought he was too much of a of a fawning, you know, of a of a nice CM Punk, uh, his first promo on Raw after Survivor Series. But now he is this past Friday. He was on SmackDown. Um, and his quarter did well. And I have his quarter here for, uh, for raw, which did enormously well. Um, he was the only quarter we have to say here. He was the only quarter. His, now I should include Seth Rollins here too. CM Punk and Seth Rollins. They were the entirety of this quarter. There are no ads in this quarter, which is very beneficial Uh, for people watching the video. You can see in the red here. This is the only quarter with no ads. Every other quarter had at least one ad. Many had two. Um, so they were definitely. Is, is that
0: consistent with the the nine o'clock to nine fifteen quarter, or th- th- does that vary by week that uh, the the ad breaks? I don't know, but I okay.
3: I, I, well, I want to say it's pretty rare for there to be no ads whatsoever, right, in in a whole quarter hour. Now. Taking that into consideration, I went into the big spreadsheet and I said, give me all the quarter hours that were on raw that had no ad breaks in them. Show me the quarter to quarter difference. This is the biggest positive difference. As you can see 25% up from the prior quarter. There's no quarter hour from raw that, that had no ads or had ads in it either way since early 2022 that has a Delta has an increase as high as this does. So Even considering great advantage here, no ads. This is a a meaningful, a meaningful data point.
0: When I saw your line graph, I mean, it just looked like, uh, I, mean, I imagined it would be Phil Brooks screensaver for at least the next couple of months. Um, because look, look at this, uh, this triangle here at the, at the top here. So this was the peak in viewership and the 18 to 49 by a significant margin, 1,881,000 viewers. As Brandon mentioned, a 25% increase from the prior quarter and doing, uh, what uh, is at 814,000 in the demo. So th- this was over 600,000 viewers above the main event, uh, in, in the third hour as well. This was the peak segment on Raw. It was an excellently received segment on top of that and comes after his appearance on Friday night Smackdown, which was also the peak audience and quarter. Um, but th- this was, I-, I would say so far, his, his most, uh, impressive performance, uh, to date because you didn't have, this was not like this was, Two nights after the Survivor Series, this is several appearances in, and it was viewed, you know, with the hook of him deciding what brand he's going to sign with. Maybe the strongest argument for the brand split uh, of of late here was CM Punk having to decide between SmackDown, NXT, and Raw.
3: Yeah, I, I look at especially this quarter hour from from Raw, and and as you mentioned, it's so it's it's such a high peak above everything surrounding it. I I do wonder, and I've seen other instances that made me think the same thing over the last uh, several months that. I wonder if, if a lot of it, a lot of the increase in viewership here, and remember, we're still looking at live same day, right? I mean, we're, we're not even a few days removed from, from the event happening, but still every, everything that this measurement is live same day. So anything probably before like 3 a.m. gets counted in here. I wonder if it's a lot of people who are, who are hearing the feedback, uh, and are going back to their DVRs and checking it out and then just not watching the rest of the show because it's such a huge
0: difference, uh, over what's before and what's after. And this clearly, um, an argument for when two people do a face to face with no words, that 30 camera cuts are perfectly acceptable. I heard you, you counted that, right? This is that, that's what that was. That was during this in ring. This promo? is when, Seth, when Seth enters the ring and they just go face to face and they're just staring a hole into one another. I'm watching this and I was like, it was jarring to me. And I'm just watching this. I was like, how many cuts are there? And guess what? I have a lot of time on my hands when I'm watching raw. So I went back. <laughs> there were 30 camera cuts during this face to face before Seth or punk said a word to one another.
3: Yeah. I I don't know how often that happens in promos, right? Like obviously we know the the tradition for matches is every time there's impact, the, the camera switches. And I've
0: heard people say that that's, it's been less. So I, I would be uh, curious to go back 20 years or so to the, the, the famous Hogan rock uh, segment that they had and, and see if uh, it, it was a similar, uh, cut trigger happy finger. You, you know what I've considered doing and it would
3: take a lot of work to do because I'd have to like download video and gigabytes by, upon gigabytes of video but to like give me a few episodes of raw from I don't know each year or something like that so we could use a sample and extrapolate but and then I'm not going to do it manually but in, in an automated fashion I have looked into this there are like tools where you can it's it's called like scene change detection or something like that where you could count the, the number of times that the camera changed and to, to see what the normal was you know what the norm was over time and where this really peaked and increased and whether it's any different today
0: yeah i just completely intuitively i feel like the introduction of the shield and all of their attacks was like just the explosion that's when i feel i noticed them the most was just any point of impact we suddenly were were cutting um but yes, a very worthwhile project, Brandon, that I would, I would look Someday. forward to if, if you ever, uh, uh, decided to go into that. But Punk has been added for December 26th, which is the show at Madison Square Garden and December 30th at his old stomping grounds, the Kia Forum, with both shows he has advertised against Dominic Mysterio. Um, we'll see if he has added to any more shows during that, that post Christmas tour. I mean, of course, these shows are booked months out, but I feel they could have come back, um, a month after the survivor series in Chicago with a punk in a big match. And I think they would have drawn really well, uh, five weeks after survivor series but of course when these buildings are being booked i don't think cm punk was expected to be on these shows yeah didn't you punk. guys
3: didn't you guys mention this suggest this as a, as a match don versus uh, cm punk on a recent uh rewind a, a raw
0: rewind, well they did they, they did the uh the brief tease of the two like uh just interacting okay. and i thought this was like a perfect opponent like these are going to have mega heat in these matches and it's a safe opponent for punk to just go in it's not like you're uh given away everything. But I, I think this is a great opponent for these uh returns for, for punk on these shows. And I am certain that both uh both the LA and New York shows are going to see a bump here as CM Punk adds to his WWE portfolio. But you, you have to assess this overall, that this has been as strong a three weeks as you could envision of a CM punk return to the WWE and where things stand. And that this guy appears to be on the precipice of getting a major match at WrestleMania, um, with Seth Rollins at the end of it.
3: Yeah, I would say it's going pretty well so far. Um, I I've, I watched the Seth Rollins segment, and I, and I did feel like, you know, when CM Punk is on TV, it feels, I don't know, it, it feels more important or it feels more real, I guess, in, in a way that, like, you know, in, in the t- nearly 10 years in between, WWE uh, has not felt so real. Uh, it feels relevant and like, you know, s- something serious and real is happening.
0: Do you feel that of all the kind of negative baggage he, uh, was, was carrying after the exit from AEW, does that feel like it, it's been shed at this point? Like this is just a, it's a very short-term memory that know, the this, audience. This
3: guy could self-destruct at any time. I still think.
0: <laughs> I, listen, I, I don't think at all people, I think people would be very naive to just think like, oh, this guy, he's home and, uh, this is going to be just a merry walk in the park, um, that this could go <laughs> at any time. But it does feel that the audience has, Like, it does feel like he has shed a lot of that um, that has been uh, bagging him for the last year and a half since the press conference. Well, he has – he's a lot less leverage here,
3: right, in a much bigger company. So there's advantages, I think, for WWE. If you're going to handle somebody who's difficult and who's prone to conflict, I think being a bigger, more powerful company in terms of revenue by multiples than,
0: than AEW is a big advantage there. Yeah. And uh, and Feifel did report that he was he was he was at um, the Performance Center on Tuesday. He did not appear on NXT, but uh, I did hear that, yes, he was there and seemed to be, you know, open to anyone coming up, asking questions like he's being, uh, you know, he's on his best behavior and he's being a good soldier. And he is, I think, definitely endearing himself to the, the locker room and as much as. You know, people looked at, man, how are people going to respond? I think there's a ton of people, um, especially at that NXT level, um, that probably look at punk as like this huge star that they, they grew up watching, um, that, that is here that they probably have a a very strong opinion of as opposed to kind of a, a negative viewpoint.
3: And that's consistent with things I've I've heard about about how he was in AEW in terms of wanting to help younger wrestlers, wanting to give Mm -hmm. people advice. I'd heard that he was, Somebody who stuck around, you know, say his, his segment was on early, he stuck around through the whole show and, and watched it all and, and would talk to people afterwards. So that seems like something that he wants to do in terms of helping people who are coming up.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.
0: Well, this week we also had the um, maybe rather anticlimactic end, or at least the pending end, to the lawsuit between WWE and MLW. And that's going to allow us to bring in our very special guest uh, from MMA Payout. Pleasure to welcome Jason Cruz to the show. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us. Uh, both Brandon and I, fans of your work. And, uh, we oh, wanted to you. have you on because, uh, all of a sudden this WWE MLW lawsuit, we're not getting into discovery. We're not going to a trial. Um, just all of a sudden this drops on Monday that the sides appear to have reached a settlement and within 30 days they'll be filing their papers. And it just seems like this is going to be a, a clean exit from WWE having to, um, essentially have the, Roof of or the hood of the car opened up and see what what's going on inside.
2: Well, I definitely think it's a great uh a great result for MLW simply because, in my opinion, I didn't think that they had really had a, a great case going into into this uh into this lawsuit. It was, if you recall, that the the judge allowed uh MLW to amend its complaint to add more context <laughs> to the lawsuit mm-hmm. which basically means we're going to we're going to we're going to dismiss this thing unless you have more meat to the lawsuit so they did it survived uh the motion to dismiss from the WWE and they MLW uh can go on uh and uh and uh live without having to uh worry about getting a crushed by the WWE in court
3: and do you have a sense of how common that is for uh, a case to, to get dismissed before the judge to allow the plaintiff to amend in a case like this?
2: Yeah. You know, it, it happens, uh, it happens a lot. And, uh, I get the sense a couple of reasons that perhaps WWE didn't think that MLW had a strong case. And one of the reasons is that it was it remained in the U.S. District Court in Northern California. Now, as you know, you guys know from whenever WWE gets sued and it gets tense, they move it to Connecticut. Uh, where they are the, where, where it's the home base. And usually, uh, WWE is allowed to do those things because if they're being sued, they can, uh, they can go ahead and move their case to where their closest, their, their central business is. Uh, and, uh, so secondly, the, as a matter of context with filing lawsuits, the court will allow the plaintiff filing the lawsuit, every opportunity to get its say in court, essentially. And so they can amend the law. They can suggest that they amend the lawsuit uh, basically by just saying, hey, listen, the court would just say, hey, listen, we we don't think you have have it, have a strong case here. Now, if you bring something else, we can entertain it and the defendants can de- defend it. Uh, and we could see here that uh, when MLW uh, filed its first amended complaint, uh, that they went ahead and fi- put in more detail and context for uh, for the court to
0: entertain it and the WWE to defend it. Going through the case, like where did you see MLW? Like wh- what was the strength of their argument if you believe that there was one?
2: Well, it, it wasn't the an antitrust. Claim. It wasn't the antitrust claim, to be honest with you. I think they did have a strong case with the internet, inter, intentional interference with uh, the business, the prospective businesses. I think that uh, their allegations related to how uh, Vince McMahon and WWE went behind the scenes to get them off of Vice, uh, the, the decision not to include them on the Peacock network. I think those were strong. Uh, strong allegations against WWE. Did they give rise to antitrust a- a- a implications as far as um, destroying other people within the market? I don't know if any of those things would be give rise to being anti-competitive. Now, definitely, they can have a monopoly and be a strong market, uh, have market uh, a strong market share, but. Uh, you know, you'd have to prove MLW would have to prove more than what they had brought as far as, hey, you know, uh, you know, they, they hey, uh, you know, they did this to everybody. They they uh, um, WWE had so much bandwidth that they shut everybody off of uh, television or streaming platforms. And I think that's what one of the WWE's central arguments was is like, Hey, we're not taking you off a of TV. We're not taking you off of any of these, uh, larger platforms. We're just, uh, you know, we just have the contacts
3: and you don't. So the, the point that this case was at was, was in discovery, which it seemed was, was beginning to happen, which, which you can explain better, but I, th- I think it means we request certain information from each other's parties. And, and maybe we get that information, um, it's like what, what kind of discovery would MLW have had to you know, bring out to, to help their case?
2: I think that um, as we are seeing in the Zufa lawsuit, if they were able to extract emails um, or uh, communications or something of that nature where they were to, uh, see emails where they are talking, where um, someone, an executive is talking to um Stephanie McMahon or Vince McMahon about how Vince McMahon was pissed that uh, Vice had, which is alleged. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. With these emails uh, about, Hey, you know, get these guys off that. Why are you, you know, why are you, uh, hire, you know, why are you getting this other, uh, wrestling promotion out there? You know, the, uh, quote unquote, uh, you know, hot document or something of that nature. Those things could have been, helpful for MLW to prove their case uh all, all uh, you know also that you know they probably have to depose people uh wWE executives uh and then you know obviously with the talent uh talent uh, poaching or whatnot they'd have to they'd have to prove that as well
0: so in in this case I mean if you are the legal representation for MLW and they did have like a pretty significant law firm uh backing them here with, with uh, Mark Kasowitz, I mean, are you ultimately uh, of the belief that you know a lot of times in a, in a case like this, this is going to come down to a settlement and how far are we going to go before there's there's a figure that is just too enticing to just walk away from and end what is just going to be mounting mounting legal bills on the MLW side that I, I'm sure this this was not a cheap uh, venture to pursue for the last year and a half.
2: No, 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 not at all. And definitely as a, in comparison to the UFC lawsuit where there are fighters uh, fighting for a a share of the pie, we have just one, one entity and that's MLW. And as far as the legal representation, you want to ask your client, Hey, how far do you want to go with this? You know, do, do and moreover, do you have the capital to fund this lawsuit through trial? I don't know what, what the structure is. Usually in these plaintiff's lawsuits, they are, uh, as they say in the craps terms, on the come. Just, you know, uh, when you get paid, you uh, you have to uh, – when you settle or get the verdict, you get paid. So I'm not sure if MLW was just paying them monthly or whatnot. But definitely it's something, especially for MLW. I, you know more than I that it's, it's a smaller entity. I don't know how much of a legal budget they have, but, like, you know, a year and a half in – and you you worry about you know how much you're pet spending on all of these legal bills, and what is what are you going to gain out of that? You know, are you really do you really believe you're going to get a multi million dollar verdict out of WWE? As, and then how long before you actually get it? Well, you know, because certainly WWE would appeal any decision that would would happen.
3: Yeah, my impression is that MLW they have investors, but maybe this was on contingency, especially given the profile of, of the law firm that they were working with. Um, but do, do you see any, any relationship between the UFC antitrust case being ongoing and this case with WWE? When the, these, when that case started, when the WE case started and the UFC case for that matter, what, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. they were not merged. They have merged in September. Uh, and do you think that fact that they are, they are now two merged companies, both litigating, uh, antitrust lawsuits, did that? Do you see that having any pressure in urging a settlement to eventually happen here?
2: Not at all. I, I don't think so. Simply because I, I think that TKO itself is a huge entity in which they can um, assume a lot of the legal bills that was were happening. I would I would imagine that the executives got in there with their lawyer with the lawyers and law firms and and the what's our what's the strategy and what's the strength of the lawsuit uh they have enough money to withstand going to trial uh with both lawsuits i mean i'm, I'm sure they have more than just both law, two lawsuits going on uh I, again like i i i said the wwe uh lawsuit they had a stronger case as far as either getting it out on a summary judgment motion or dismissing it or actually winning a defense verdict. The UFC case um, is a lot, a lot more intense as far as the issues involved and how it could
0: structure and change the industry. As you look at sort of what is your major takeaway here on the WWE's end? Like certainly we assume that, you know, they're, they're signing over some sizable portion here to make this go away, but Also, I would say at the same time, let's not leave ourselves open that another promotion could revisit this down the road. I mean, are they do you feel like something like this actually does assess your internal practices? Because the deeper you go with WWE, I think, especially when we're talking about the 80s, where it was just the Wild West. And you could certainly point to a lot of predatory behavior. Does the company take take anything in solace from this to avoid uh, another Entity coming after them with similar arguments about their business practices.
2: Probably not, to be honest with you. I I, I think that their clo- the closest competitor and the uh, promotion that could do something of that nature would be AEW, as you guys know. But AEW just actually purchased a, a company, so uh, I, I don't know uh, what their uh, what what they would they would do. I doubt a antitrust lawsuit would come of any of the uh, anything between AEW or WWE. Uh, you know, there may be lawsuits, uh, you know, contractual interference with business relations, those more of us or uh, commercial torts uh, of that nature, where they're just businesses suing other businesses for money, not a game changing antitrust lawsuit. And the other promotions, uh, in wrestling, you know, are, are smaller and, and just don't have the budgets to go up against the uh, WWE. Yeah.
0: And would WWE be in a position where they, they will eventually, you know, as TKO is a publicly traded company, d- disclose whatever this settlement figure is or like, w- what's kind of their responsibility when it comes to this case being settled?
2: You know, that's a good, that's a, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I don't know if, uh, if the settlement will be confidential and sealed, you know that's one of they, what's that's one of the agreements MLW will go into, as far as hey we're we're going to have you know uh, let's we'll settle for X amount of dollars so long as you sign this document that's saying you can't say anything about it. Um, so that that might be a way for them not to disclose that information. Um, obviously, there are ways that I'm not going to say hide, but just you know, move around information. So it's hard for people to, d- to detect how much the settlement went for.
3: Yeah, I would think just from reading SEC filings for a while that if it's not material to their business and now their business is combined and even bigger, then they, they're they not going to disclose something that's not, I don't know, in, in at least the tens of millions of dollars. I and mean, it could be, and, and certainly if it was you know, upwards towards a hundred, maybe they would have to disclose that. But, you know, we don't even get explicit reporting in the SEC filings about like what W T V TV deals are worth. The only reason why we have okay. that information is because it's been reported separately, uh, in media. Um, but it, it, I was just thinking here, you know, this is the third, I believe the third case, the third lawsuit that W has settled this year. They had a uh, former writer, Brittany Abrams, Abraham oh, right. mm-hmm. sued them over racial discrimination, wrongful termination. Um, this there's the, the Panini trading cards, The short lived Panini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is the third, and even if you go back to I think in 2018 or 2019. There's the um, there's a shareholder lawsuit that was settled. So it's usually not the you know that's not the reputation of of a Vince McMahon company to to settle. He usually wants to fight. But I wonder if that you know makes people smell blood in the water here. I know these are all pretty different issues, but you know that's it's not usual. It's not usually the case for WWE to settle lawsuits.
0: As soon as the discovery phase reached, uh, we need access to Vince McMahon's inbox. It's like okay, okay. let's sit down, well, down and <laughs> talk about <laughs> it. Um, we, we also wanted to chat a bit about the uh the, the status and kind of your um analysis of where we are regarding the u f c antitrust suit and i mean i I don't think any of us could have remembered uh in two thousand fourteen the idea that we would still be talking about this in two thousand twenty three we're almost exactly uh nine years from um the suit being filed but i mean is this one that i mean are you Are you of the belief that this will reach a trial now that we have a date in April? Or do you sense that at the end of the day, there is going to be that that pressure point that is reached where finally they are just going to avoid a a trial?
2: Uh, I think that at least they will start the trial. What that means is that they will go unless this thing gets uh, kicked or dismissed or whatnot. Zufa is willing to go to trial um now we we've seen some filings happen throughout um last couple of days zufa has filed to, m- to exclude um plaintiff's key experts um three of them to be uh, to uh, to be specific and included a new expert of themselves this is now it's getting kind of di- interest they ex- they included a new expert which you probably cannot do and they included his declaration. Like um, there was like thirty exhibits attached in a in a motion, and his declaration was number twenty nine. So <laughs> there you go. Now we're now we're getting into the the, the uh, dirty sneaky tactics here. Um, there uh, I I am very positive that uh, this the this will go to at least the start of a out uh, start of a trial. Whether it happens in April, I'm you know it's it's still up in the air. Probably. Shall uh, happen at at that point, April eighth, I think is the 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 um, specific date, but you I never know with the, with courts as far as wh- if they're exactly going to start on the, that particular date. But it does look like w- we are m- moving toward there now. Uh, 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 the other thing that's happening is that summary judgment motion has been filed by Zufa again, kind of a renewal. It, it doesn't sound like uh, Judge Bullware will dismiss the case, so we're 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 full speed ahead.
3: Yeah, I I don't know this case as well as you two guys do, but I, I did see that there were text messages that were released as part of this lawsuit recently, including Lorenzo Fertita saying, We got to keep these efforts oxygen till they tap out. We have sacrificed too much to let anyone get traction now. And Dana White responding, I agree. You are, and is the letter U and the letter R, mm-hmm. 100% correct, and I love it, all caps. So, mm-hmm. uh,
2: there, There is a lot of salacious uh, emails and texts that um, have come out. Uh, the question will be, will any of this see the light of day in court? Because a lot of this information that will be submitted will be objected to by Zufa as far as how, uh, what, what evidentiary rule, and now we're getting, uh, getting really into the legal, legal weeds about this, what evidentiary rule will allow it to come into court? You know, is is that prejudicial, uh, more prejudicial than probative evidence? There, I mean, with 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 uh, Lorenzo Fertitta, uh texting that, is that you know, was he really is uh, saying we are suppressing the market competition at this point, or were they just happy that uh, they beat a guy, uh, or, or made a guy sign uh, sign a contract, or beat out another
0: promotion? I'm really curious to see, like, especially if, and this would only happen, I think, if we actually got to the trial phase of whether this does become sort of a mainstream sports story. Like you will you will see like some uh, attention here or there. But I mean, even in the MMA spaces, you see, Jason, like it's it's covered in certain outlets, but not prevalent. It's like I to my knowledge, I don't think Dana White has ever had this suit brought up to him, certainly not since he's recent. Revelations and such and like is there a real galvanizing effort towards fighters being under underpaid and this becoming sort of a a national story in in that sense or if this is something that is going to kind of just be quiet and people are not going to get lost in the weeds of the details of how these fighters earn or do not earn a living
2: you know it speaks to uh it speaks to media in general uh simply because uh that if you the MMA media need access to fighters and and, and to the stories now if you talk about a story that uh could put the UFC in bad light they may not come back to you and you not might not be on their press release list uh to be honest with you but definitely if a if this goes to trial and we get testimony and oh, and it goes to verdict uh, you You definitely would have to see at least some sort of uh, recognition of this uh, lawsuit happening
0: I guess to to just try and assume like the the ufc's stance and and I feel this would be kind of dana white 's big you know trumpeting cry would just be the sense of like this is America where I built this business, and this is about building our business up, and if the competitors can't can 't stand with us, then they fall. This is America we 're the biggest win. I mean, that's going to be the argument in the sense that, yeah, we're building our company up. And yeah, if the competitors, it's on them to uh, reach our level. I think that's going to be kind of your Dana will sway. I think a significant amount of the public, because this is a very unique industry where we see a lot of fans that side with the company over the fighters. And that, that's very unique to other sports, but it's one that like Dana White is there, you know, they're Pied Piper that they, they stand behind and he's like this cult of personality to them. It's,
2: it's brand loyalty. It's, it's brand loyalty. Dana White is the UFC brand, not the fighters. That's what Zupa wants you to, to, uh, to be indoctrinated about. It's like, it's not about the fighters. It's about Dana White bringing, of working all hours and the night, bringing the fights to uh, to the fans and investing their own money. There's going to be a lot of uh, a testimony about how they were broke. they were they were on the on the cusp of bankruptcy and selling, and they uh, went ahead and put in their own money yet again to uh, prop up the business. and that's that's going to be one of their talking points when they go to trial.
0: It's hilarious because uh, this week we're actually doing a retrospective look at the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. And the speech everyone remembers is Dana White addressing all the fighters. uh, Do you want to be an effing fighter? And the premise of that speech is the fighters, many of them were there under the belief that they wouldn't have to fight until the finale. And then they are told, no, we're doing fights in the gym that will be exhibition bouts and no one is being paid for these fights. And these guys are like we're fighting for free. Like that famous speech is all on the premise of these fighters actually showing some like resistance to this practice that the UFC and it was Dana's speech of essentially we've put all this money into this. This is a great opportunity for you. How dare you expect to be paid for these fights? But that that was the premise of like one of the key moments of that first ultimate fighter season. And everyone knows how that season went for the company. Yeah, it, it put them on the map. So anyway, we uh, um, Brandon, any any further thoughts on uh, where this if, case is going and and sort of um, you know, the the challenges uh, ahead? Yeah,
3: just one more. Do you have any opinion about why this case apparently hasn't affected the TKO stock very much or Endeavor's stock, I guess for that matter, since be, you know before the merger, um, TKO stock has been down the last few months, but that's I think mainly reacting to the the SmackDown deal coming in lower than was baked in and, uh, Vince McMahon selling some shares and maybe a little bit of worry about, uh, the PFL deal with this, with, uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, but apparently, you know, the, the stock market doesn't view the antitrust lawsuit as a big deal. So I so just have if you have any thoughts about that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it goes to the fact that is, this, this isn't covered too much, uh, that, that people don't believe that, uh, even if we go to, uh, a trial, that Zufa has gone ahead and said that they're going to appeal this this verdict or this this ruling I mean yeah this verdict no matter what so uh you know it, obviously if a, a if a, a, if a jury comes out with a huge verdict I'm sure it'll affect the stock price momentarily but Zufa seems to, seems to be confident either way that they're they're going to push this to an appeal and get the result that they want. Now, obviously that might not happen. Uh, that it might lead to a settlement, but um, at this point, I don't think that the stock is going to be affected in, at at any point.
3: And and if there is like a, a big settlement or if there's a big judgment against UFC, would that take money? And and would that that take you know? Cash directly from TKO, or they—they they have insurance. They have liability insurance that would help them cover that.
2: You know, I don't think uh, they have insurance. To, I don't think uh, antitrust uh, is covered by insurance. So that's that's another thing that would have to be uh, considered um, once this gets closer. You know, how how in the in the alternative that they lose or they have to pay out uh, a settlement uh how would that where would that money come from i'm sure that uh, the ufc uh could could do whatever you know has the money could borrow it whatever wh- whatever it may be but yeah i don't i don't think insurance would come into play here sure
0: do you have anything else uh no as i am uh in the midst of uh, handling two 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 children but Did you have to break up the fight uh, no no fights uh just a just a bathroom break but nonetheless uh, Jason, we do want to give you a, a chance to uh, let all of our uh, viewers out there know where they can uh, follow your work uh, over at MMA Payout and anything else you have uh, coming up.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, But by the way, I wore my war game shirt just because I wanted oh, wow. to be.
0: Oh. On the, yeah. So here you go. There it is.
2: Definitely
0: yeah. games. Yeah. Uh, I, I think said, this is the first over is the official merchandise for the upcoming, uh, trial. If they, if they make it in April. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. So you can follow me. Uh, once for once, uh, once again, thank you very much for having me. MMApayout.com is the website. Uh, YouTube, I do, uh, uh, breakdowns of these suits on the legal submission, but it's YouTube, Jason Cruz and follow me on Twitter, MMA payout. Or Dilettante, D I L L E T A U N T, and they, by the way, the book. Uh, if you go to Amazon, the book "Mixed Martial Arts and the Law." By the way, if you want, uh, if you want a copy as a stocking stuffer,
0: there you go. Dispute suits and legal issues by Jason Cruz. So um, definitely worth uh, uh, picking up. Uh, this was great, Jason. I'm sure we will be uh, hitting you up again uh, down the road because always, always legal drama between MMA and professional wrestling, and uh, this was a, a great synopsis of everything going on. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great one. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. Jason Cruz, everybody. You can uh, follow him over at MMApayout.com. Are we going to do a road trip to Las Vegas if they, if they go to trial, uh, Brandon? Will that be, uh, how long would the trial be for? Who knows? I mean, uh, I I wouldn't be opposed to that. Could be a solid ten days potentially. Yeah. I to this a could be our days. version of Vince McMahon's '94 steroid yeah. distribution trial.
3: All right? Will, so. will Dan, I don't see Dana White wearing a, a neck brace though?
0: Probably not. I don't think the guy wouldn't wear a mask uh, to show weakness. I don't think he's going to wear a neck brace, but maybe he'll get advice from uh, his uh, his now uh, co-worker. Uh, we have a few questions to get to. If you want to uh, sneak in a question, you're welcome to. Uh, this was sent in earlier from Andy. Thank you for the super chat. Would Raw to Warner Brothers Discovery boost AEW the way that they did The Ultimate Fighter? To, from Raw to WBD? I don't know if Raw is necessarily in, in need of boosting. I think they'd be... Uh, uh, well, I think
3: I think what he means is is would
0: Raw, being a, a more popular show than than any of AEW's shows,
3: has higher viewership, would that be on oh, the same, okay. same I, network I as AEW? Would that help right. AEW? Right, right, right. I understand what that means. I think that would be part of, of a media executive argument about why buying rights to raw would be a good idea is because it would have a synergistic value of putting more wrestling on the, the TNT and, and TBS networks and, and they may feed off of each other. Um, is that a, a real thing? Maybe, I don't know. Um, let's put, I, I could see the argument for let's put all the wrestling on one network. That's kind of what ESPN is in terms, in terms of MMA with having both UFC and PFL. Um, some of the WWE is going to be on USA Network because SmackDown already bought or because USA already bought rights to, uh, SmackDown. So we'll
0: see what happens. Uh, we might just, have to go to Vegas for six, six weeks. Six weeks. Actually. Wow. Yeah, so that, that would be a commitment on our, on our part. Okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> Brandon <laughs> and I would have to like hit the tables to, uh, afford, uh, the extra four weeks probably at that, at that point. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as like you brought this up many times and I think a lot of people are looking like raw to me is, the rights are in the air i think the idea of raw going elsewhere is a very viable outcome but if we do look at the option of usa being an active bidder in the raw rights and they are uh, able to make such an offer to retain those rights i think it does bring us right back to the question of did they miss out not being more active when it came to the acquisition of w- wwe now nxt are leaving uh, usa but when you when you're dedicating to it's like we, we want to be in for like two nights of the week of five hours of primetime WWE wrestling. But the ownership side is that's that's too much uh, involvement for our blood.
3: I, I think that may have just come down to Comcast slash NBC Universal not wanting wa- wanting to be associated being willing to be associated with wrestling enough to be a major broadcaster of it but not wanting to have that brand be one of its very own. Um, that, that is my best guess about why they did not buy WWE. It, it looks like in, in my view, like looking at the, the filings where the, the, the suitors are anonymized that they made a bid and it, and it's the lowest bid that we have a record of in, in, in that filing it was a $76 per share bid when everybody else was in the eighties and nineties. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, but it does. I mean, you've you Peacock as well. They have the streaming rights. They have
0: SmackDown. But Raw could end up somewhere else still. Tony Khan held a media call on Tuesday to promote Ring of Honor's a final battle event. And we're going to hear from Tony Khan because he was asked about um, the reports, uh, which House of Wrestling reported first, that... CW representatives had spoken with Tony Khan in Los Angeles last year and here is Tony Khan's answer regarding ROH's television rights and whether or not they had talks with CW. I think CW's great network and we did have a visit Dennis uh, visited us at the forum uh last year and it was great and uh, I have a lot of respect for Dennis Miller and the CW folks and I think uh you know the timing uh, for us wasn't necessarily right, but I think there was a lot of great, uh, interested people in the marketplace in both AW and ROH. And I think. Yeah. There was he's, Tony Khan.
3: Yes. He's, he's talking about Dennis Miller, not, not the comedian.
0: Yeah. The I think, I, I think everyone was, uh, naturally going towards a former raw host guest yes. host, Dennis Miller, but yes, former, uh, former S- Monday night
3: football commentator.
0: Uh, no, the, the president of the CW is Dennis Miller,
3: different Dennis Miller. Um, yeah uh the uh he talk about the the value that ring of honor might have not only he did it did confirm that he's I don't know if he confirmed that they'd like negotiated but he met and talked with yeah he, we, met, we had a with, visit we had a visit yeah with with Dennis Miller when they when they were in, in la um is ring of honor really gonna add all this value and be potentially bundled into an awd I would be surprised I mean if if you're a WBd and you haven't Used Ring of Honor for s- some sort of content at this point. Why would you start anytime soon? And in, in the Ring of Honor brand only feels, uh, l- less hot than it did, uh, at an earlier time. Um, so that's, I, I wouldn't expect it, but it's maybe it's something that can contribute to the library. I think that's maybe the likeliest, uh, place for it to be.
0: It would have to be a major about face because let's just look at what we do know. Tony Khan purchases Ring of Honor in early 2022. He actively is looking for a television presence, and he is going to go to WBD to try and get Ring of Honor. And he seems like very adamant that it has to be on WBD. WBD obviously passes on it because it ends on up on Honor Club. And within several months, it's WBD, Mr. Zaslav, hitting up Tony. We need two hours of wrestling. Well, I brought you two hours of wrestling. No, no, no. We want AEW wrestling on Saturday nights. I think that tells you right there that they, for whatever reason, they do not want ring of honor branded pro wrestling. They want AEW branded wrestling. And I mean, and, and from there you can make your own assumptions about why it is that they wanted two more hours of wrestling later in the year, but they did not want ring of honor in that slot on Saturday.
3: And, and thinking about it, like the, the library value of ring of honor. if, if you've seen some VHS tapes of ring of honor, like I, I bet you and I have, um, is that of a quality that, that if you're, you know, if you're running the Max streaming service, that you even want on the Max streaming service? They, they, look, they look like they're shot with a camcorder,
0: and and it's being shot in
3: 2003
0: or 2002. With, with, with the prior ownership of Ring of Honor, like I heard from people that were working on Honor Club, that just getting those like the, the the first year up, like they had to put a lot of work into those. It was not just like the the quality, which is obviously going to be significantly below. Like what, what an AEW program is going to look music. like. It's music. also right, it, it's music. It's some of the content too. Like where you have you know just just various angles and stuff that they shot that is is not going to play to a modern audience. Um, th- th- there was all of this uh, stuff that it's like just the music alone. <laughs> like that's that's a major undertaking to have to overhaul. And what is the what is the time and money put into uh, editing all of the, the this library and what are we getting out of it?
3: I can only imagine. Tony Khan sitting David Zaslav down to watch the era of honor begins, which opens with the hit squad, uh, doing with the an Christopher angle. street connection. Yes.
0: Yes. Oh yes. And and I, I remember some of the chants that were a part of that. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago, right? That was like, what, the sixties, early seventies, 2002. That was what? February, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Well, there you have it. the, the latest, um, did anything else come out of, uh, the ring of honor call that I, I would call the, uh, something to consider call. Tony gave mm-hmm. quite a few something to consider when he was throwing different uh, scenarios from scripting MJF and Adam Cole of the tag titles to uh, should Samoa Joe vacated the TV title. And yeah, that's something to consider. I mean, th- things are great. It's going to be a great show. Um, you did ask him about Ring of Honor subscribers. I don't yes. think he put a number on it, though. No, no. Seemed that. So th- on Friday's show, they are making this exclusive on Honor Club. It's not a pay-per-view. And I asked as well about whether this is kind of are you crossing a line where you can't go back at this point to pay-per-view? The answer, as I took from him, that he gave was they are not they're not looking at this as like a clean break from pay-per-view that if the demand warranted it, that they could put ROH back on pay-per-view. But I think with the escalation of AEW shows and even though they're completely separate companies, I think maybe this is probably the best distribution method for Ring of Honor as something for your honor club subscribers and really does incentivize you to sign up for honor club, which there wasn't that incentive before. If you're someone that just wants to watch the pay-per-views, I guess they made a
3: calculation that it's, it's a good investment to sort of cannibalize the pay-per-view, which was probably doing what, what do we think 30, 40,000 buys worldwide. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's whatever revenue that that would generate without breaking out a calculator uh, is it's worth it to try to redirect that that consumer activity in, into subscribers that may recur for more than
0: one month. All right. And, uh, one other note that was uh, coming out today, the, uh, the Mark Kerr film that Dwayne Johnson was linked to. Uh, this was back in 2019. They announced this Mark Kerr, a former, former UFC fighter, former pride fighter. And then, um, was the subject of this excellent documentary in 2003 called The Smashing Machine. Um, the rights to that were acquired by Dwayne Johnson's Seven Bucks production, and the film is set to be distributed now by A24, who's the same outlet that's putting out The Iron Claw on the Von Erich family, and uh, 51-year-old Dwayne Johnson will play MMA fighter Mark Kerr.
3: Okay. Gonna, are there going to be scenes from Pride in there? Is, uh, is the,
0: the Rock going to appear in Pride? Yeah, he will, he'll have to. I mean, that was his big, his big moment was, uh, yeah, going, going over to Pride and, you know, ra- fighting at the Tokyo Dome. So I'm, I'm sure we will see, uh, Dwayne Johnson in all his, uh, his MMA glory, but there you have it, everybody. Um, it, it could have just been life imitating art if, uh, Dwayne Johnson had gone over in 97, like he intended to to Pride. He could have fought Mark. That's right. He almost did. He almost went to Pride. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was around the time that, that, uh, Hulk Hogan was almost in Metallica yes and wrestling 400 days a year because of the uh, international dateline. line still a still a great hulk hoganism but there you have it everybody you are now all caught up to date on all of the news uh, that is going on uh, as i mentioned earlier on rewind away on thursday for members at postwrestlingcafe.com way and i will be going back on thursday and we're looking at the first season of the ultimate fighter and boy do i have some uh, some notes on this first season it, it is wild to go back and yes we will probably be talking about uh, fighter pay at some point in this which uh, how dare you expect to be paid for these fights on national television as we uh, try to get out of debt so that's coming up on Thursday's edition and tonight we will be live with Rewind Dynamite following Winter is Coming featuring the Von Erichs on television brand and Kevin Marshall and Ross Von Erich as they get set for the release of their film next week yes
3: when when does your embargo get lifted
0: Oh, it's free. It's a, it's, it's up, free. Oh yeah, I can answer so I, all I can ask the you
3: what did you think? Spoilers without spoilers. Without spoilers. Yeah. Without spoilers thumbs up. Thumbs
0: down. Um, so I'll, I'll say this in terms of the the film. I think some of the performances were excellent. I think overall, many people. Um, I, I do think this is going to be a hit with most people that that watch it. It's already getting like some acclaim. If you're someone that knows the story, like the timeline and some of the events. The, the inaccuracies will drive you insane. Like, there is, uh, if you know the story, but I think that's going to be a very small fragment of the audience, like even wrestling fans that know like world class history. Um, it, you are going back, uh, a bit, but
3: this is going to be a long review in the Observer of this
0: film, then 12 pages minimum <laughs> would be my guess. So okay. that's, uh, that's coming up next Friday, but, uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it whenever you get to, uh, see, see the film. You, you should definitely. Uh, take your significant other to see it, and then see as well. She she's pretty into pro wrestling herself, so she yes. might be more ahead. Yeah, we're, we're going out of town, but I th-
3: but I might might be might be still home. Well, okay, I suppose we could go see it out of town too. But yeah, we I, I I do plan to see it. I'll I'll see it as soon as possible, and we can talk about it after I see it.
0: Okay. That's going to wrap everything up. Again, a big thank you to Jason Cruz for joining us. Uh, next week will be the final Pollock and Thurston of 2023. We're going to be off on the 27th. Like canceling the show for a second? No, 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 no. I've, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we will be back on January the 3rd. We're going to have, give us one week off for uh, for holiday madness and and travel and such, and allow Brandon an afternoon to go see the Iron Claw. So sure. uh, we will be back next week. Maybe we'll do a. Uh, <clears throat> Who's up, who's down 2023 edition of, of the show? Um, Marshan and Orand.
3: Uh, is, is this the Marshan and Orand of wrestling business?
0: I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if, if it is or such, but um, we, will, uh, we, we don't do their, their voiceover sound effects. We don't, we don't have that kind of technology, but no. There you have it, everybody. That's it for Pollock and Thurston. Thanks for joining us, and we will speak with you next
1: Wednesday.